Praise God. Thank you for your ministry, praise team. Turn your Bibles with us this morning to Luke chapter 16 within God's Word. Luke chapter 16 this morning as we finish off our message series that we've been preaching to you. This is the last installment in that message series. And as many of you know, I have been uh, utilizing the services and the talents, the giftings and the ministry of our own brand new pastoral intern, Pastor Ben May. Come on up here, Pastor Ben. Give him a hand. And uh, he's got a special talent right now that we've been using because of the nature and the title, the name of this message series. God bless you, Pastor Ben. Amen. Toast, toast. Can you guys hear me? No. No, can you guys hear me now? Check, check. All right, come on up here, team. So today, we will be doing something quite fabulous, hopefully. Um, if all goes well, we will be escaping from a box. Now, for the sound and lighting to come here for Edge, we had to have a whole bunch of these boxes come in. And I have my lovely assistant. Everyone say, hello, Bree. Bree, say hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. So, ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls. Of all ages. Feast your eyes as they go and prepare the uh, blockers over there. You can see that this is a normal box, and we will it's leave it in the box. lobby afterwards for you guys to check out. The only difference is we drilled a hole in the top so that I could breathe. I got asthma. I don't want to die on stage. Now, to add to this, you can see it's a normal box, and just to add things, should we make it harder? Yes. I hate when you say that. Should we make it a little harder or a lot harder? A lot harder. All right. Chain me up. Now... Okay. It's one thing to escape from a box, but to escape from chains, now that's something else. Bring those things up hold here. This, please. I will hold this. Now, as my assistants are coming up here, Harry Houdini was a very famous uh, escape artist from a long time ago, and he used to say that he can escape from anything. Now, this one is very fabulous because he was able to escape in a matter of 20 minutes and 14 seconds. Today, we shall do it, hopefully in less time. The pastor has to preach. And while they bring those up there... I think I need those strong men ushers again. <laughs> we might need them. Ah, very good, very good. Now, she's locking them up, and as you guys can see, can I have someone, while they go do that, can someone please make sure that this can't come off? Can you just give it a nice tug? That's nice, nice and firm, right? No, no secret compartments in there? I don't got a key in my watch, do I? No, nothing fancy? All right, nice, nice and strong. Looking good, looking good. So we got one of those over there, and let's get that one up over here. here are the and keys. while they get that, I suppose my assistant might as well put me inside the box. If you guys can't see, I'm now inside the box. Let's get that thing out here, and Bree, take it away. Now that Pastor Ben is almost secured in the box, say hello, Pastor Ben. Hello. Hello. Okay. So, now that Pastor Ben is securely in the box, there is only one more step, and that is to play the cheesy music. Now, I shall grab the flag. Let's move this thing out of the way. 
away. Ladies and gentlemen, hope you enjoyed the show. As you can see, no box is any match for me. Where'd Brianna go? Bri, where'd you go? Bri, Bri, quit playing games. We got a service to run. Are you in here? Bri, get out of there. We got a show. Well, hey! And there you have it, the magic, well, no magic, the Gospel Illusion Escape Act. Pastor, would you like to see how it's done? I would like to see how it was done. Yes. All right, all right. Okay. Uh, could you please place this right over there? So first part of the trick would be this box. And you guys could test out the box. We've had people test it for the last few weeks now. It is almost impossible to figure out. I tried for about 15 minutes. My dad tried. Everyone tried. No one can tell that... It slides. Of all things, it doesn't open from the back, from the bottom, it slides. And no one can ever figure that out. So each box has something else. <laughs> Pretty fancy. And there's one more thing. Where are those chains? I suppose the other part of the trick would be these chains. These chains are real chains. There's, there's no way to get out of them unless you're able to be very, very smooth. Now, I had to learn this trick just in case. and. If they slide, your hand goes right in and out. Wow. Give it up for Pastor Ben and his assistants. Way to go, kids. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Good job. Good Thanks, job. It was a trick. We got tricked once again. And so many of the tricks cause your eye to look one way while something's happening in another way. I'm convinced, and this message series called Deceived, that life's greatest deceptions are not necessarily even about the here and now, but about the hereafter. Read with me, if you would, in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. It was Jesus who gave us one of the greatest revelations about the hereafter. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar by the name of Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried the beggar into Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember. That in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. 
Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if you do not listen to Moses, these do not listen to the word of God, the prophets. They will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. I want you to notice that Jesus begins his story by saying, there was. I'm convinced, along with many other Bible scholars, that this was more than a parable. Jesus was recounting literal history. The story is the account of two beggars, Lazarus. I want you to note this is the only parable where we, a proper name is used. It is the only parable in which we have a given formal name, Lazarus. The story is the account of two beggars, one who begged in this life and a rich man who begged throughout all eternity. Nate, up on the sound, I'm getting a bit of feedback. Help me out, buddy. The greatest deceptions in this life revolve around the life to come. This morning, I want to answer 10 deceptions. Maybe they've come to your mind as you've watched Edge of Eternity. That's why I have felt led this morning to preach a sermon simply called Edge of Eternity, the sermon. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask, O oh Lord, for your touch. Lord, for your openness. Lord, in our eyes, our hearts, our minds. For a thus saith the Lord. Help us to heed your holy word. Give us, O oh God, hearts to receive. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Follow along with me in Edge of Eternity, the sermon. This is more of a teaching word this morning. And so I want you, if you would, really fill in the blanks. One of the young adults after Edge of Eternity rehearsal came up to me and said, Pastor, and that opened the door to 101 questions that I took for granted our young people and young adults knew about, and he did not. And so I've developed this message in response to that. Part one this morning, death denial and the state of mind deceptions. Deception number one, you've heard it, death. Ah, it always happens to somebody else. It'll never happen to me. People might not say it. Intellectually, they know everyone dies. But the way they live, they live in death denial. The rich man, you see, and Lazarus, they live lives of sharp contrast. Yet at the end of their days, they shared one common experience. Write it down, death. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be destroyed, the final enemy is not Satan. The final enemy is death. Death has evoked more fears, caused more grief, more broken hearts, more broken homes than any other. Death was never intended to walk with us on this planet. Yet death stalks us. Death haunts us. Death is winking around the corner of every one of our lives because every man, every woman, every child will experience death. Consider the famous who have died unexpectedly with me. 
Consider the famous actor James Dean at 24, killed in a car crash. Actress Marilyn Monroe, 36, died of an overdose of sleeping pills. Rock singer Jim Morrison, 27, found dead of a drug overdose. Beatle member John Lennon, age 40, shot dead in the back. Actor River Phoenix died of a drug overdose at age 23. Grunge rocker Kurt Cobain shot himself, died at age 27. Princess Diana, high-speed car crash, age 36. JFK Jr., his wife, her sister, all killed when the plane he piloted crashed in the waters off Massachusetts. He was 38. Olympic gold medalist Florence Griffith Jr. at age 38 died of an apparent heart seizure. Singer Aaliyah, after starring in her first film, Queen of the Damned, was killed in a plane crash. She was 22. Michael Jackson died of a drug overdose, age 50. And of course, Whitney Houston just recently died of a drug overdose at age 48. Her last public song was what? Yes, Jesus loves me. Death! It makes no matter if you're rich, poor, young, old, a Hollywood star, or just an ordinary Joe like you and I. Death whispers in our ears, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. A missionary in Fiji was asked by a tourist, what is that mournful screaming that I'm hearing? What's that all about? As they heard a wail that split the nighttime sky. The missionary looked at the tourist and said, someone has died. Someone's Family member, loved one, has died. And the living family member is calling to them. Come back! Come back! Come back! Yet no one ever comes back. It's hopeless. Do we have any hope, Christian? Do we have any hope in confronting this enemy called death? In Revelation chapter 1, the Bible says that John the Apostle had been banished to a prison island, a devil's island, an Alcatraz of the Roman period called Patmos. And there in this place of hopelessness, this place of banishment, this place of death and despair, he had a powerful revelation. He had a powerful vision, not necessarily of things to come, but a revelation of Jesus. The Bible says he saw a face that shone brighter than the sun, and he passed out. And Revelation chapter 1, it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Next, look at what Jesus says. And I have the keys of hell 
and death. What does that mean? It means that because he lives, we can really live. Hallelujah. Not just in the here and now, but in the hereafter. He's conquered death. And because he has conquered death, we too shall conquer in Christ Jesus, our Lord of Lords and our King of Kings. Yet death, write it down, is not the end. Death is merely transition. From the moment we're born, think of it, every one of the trillions of cells that make up our human bodies, they all begin a journey. Every step that we walk, you've heard me say it, every breath that we breathe, every beat of our heart takes us that much closer to our final destination. This is where we find the rich man in Lazarus in eternity. Just think, in 100 years, or maybe next year, or maybe in the next hour from now, everyone within the sound of my voice, everyone that I'm looking at, or that is viewing me on the video, you will be in eternity. You will be in eternity. But the question is this, what eternity? What final destination, what final habitation in eternity? Where will you be? Luke 16 reveals two eternities, heaven and hell. That brings us to deception number two. You've heard it. There's no literal heaven. There's no literal hell. Heaven and hell are a state of mind, a state of consciousness. As soon as the brain dies, it moves into unconscious oblivion. Oh, mark it down well. Upon death, the righteous in Christ Jesus will immediately go to a literal place called heaven. Heaven! Christian, the first thing that you will see when you open your eyes in death will be angels. Hallelujah! This is what happened to Lazarus. Lazarus was escorted to heaven by angels. By angels. And heaven is a, a literal place. So glorious that, that human words cannot describe it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Don't let anyone tell you that heaven's a state of mind. Don't let anyone tell you that heaven is an illusion or that you merge into the eternal consciousness of nirvana. That's deception. That's a lie that's been spawned in the, the pit of hell. Listen, if Jesus literally died upon the cross, if Jesus literally rose from the dead, uh, and if Jesus literally promised us heaven, since all of those things are literally true, then our last breath will lead to our first breath of heaven's sweet air where we'll walk on literal streets of gold, where we'll literally live forever and ever, where we'll literally walk through the gates of heaven shouting, Glory! Hallelujah! Glory to the Lord! Hallelujah! Amen! If all those things about our salvation are literally true, you can count on heaven being literal. 
Mark it down when it comes to the eternal state of the unrighteous. Lakeside, Lakeside believes in a literal place called hell because we believe in the literal word of God. I might be talking to a soul right now here this morning or via video who doubts the existence of hell. Perhaps you're like the Jehovah Witnesses or the Seventh-day Adventists or liberal Christianity who subscribe to annihilationism. What is annihilationism? There is no eternal state. The moment you die, if you're unrighteous, if you are the wicked, you are completely annihilated. You are destroyed, body, soul, mind, spirit, and you go into non-existence. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, and I'm ashamed to say there is a branch of Christianity, evangelical Christianity, that is now beginning to embrace that type of teaching, liberal Christianity. I want to remind you that your belief does not change reality. The world, the world, this planet is round. It's a sphere, whether you believe that or not. Electricity can bring a shocking experience to you, whether you believe it or not. You may sincerely believe that drinking a gallon of bleach is great for your digestive tract, but I'm telling you it's poison, and that poison will kill you, whether you believe that or not. To argue against the existence of a literal and eternal hell is to argue with Jesus and God's word. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This is why we are urging every one of our, our edge of eternity converts to be water baptized as soon as possible. We're believing we're going to have the greatest water baptismal service this Wednesday night as we take the plunge after edge. Pray with us that they'll follow through for the glory of God. Jesus said in Matthew 25, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the what? Eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal, eternal, eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Hell is a literal place in the teaching and in the mind of Jesus Christ our Lord. I am in good company. We are in good company. We are in the company of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, who taught about a literal place called heaven, a literal place called hell. The cross. Think of it. Everything I'm preaching and teaching on this morning comes back to the cross. The cross would have been meaningless without hell. Jesus is not just our Savior because he saves us from our sins. Jesus is our Savior because he saves us from hell. That's why I love him. That's why we sing unto him. That's why we praise him. He has saved us from hell. In Revelation, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, 
Why is heaven? Why is heaven? I ask you, when you read the last book of the Bible, why is it that the angels, why is it that the saints, why is it that those who populate heaven are constantly praising, constantly worshiping, constantly singing, worthy is the Lamb, as they direct their focus of praise to Jesus? Why? When you get to heaven, when you get to heaven, and when you see what God has saved us from through Christ Jesus, this will be a pure mockery compared to the reality of the horrific side and nature of hell. When you see hell in eternity, when you see the lake of fire, when you see what God has not only saved you from and has saved your family from who have believed with you, listen, you're not going to have any problem worshiping Jesus throughout all eternity. That's why I love it when our praise team begins singing this chorus, when I think about the Lord and how He saved me and how He raised me and how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, when I think about the Lord and how He's healed me, to the uttermost and how he picked me up and turned me around how he placed my feet on solid ground it makes me want to shout hallelujah hallelujah thank you Jesus Lord you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise how about deceptions about heaven deception number three have you ever heard this one it was popularized when I was a teenager and still remains today. Heaven's going to be boring. The real party is going to be in hell. There's songs today that sing about this. The heaven is boring crowd. They claim that in heaven you're going to float around like Casper the Friendly Ghost in this spirit gaseous state. They claim the heaven is boring crowd that you're going to be in a 24-7 worship service. El Boro. I want you to know this morning that God's Word, God's Word shares three powerful truths revealing how heaven will be the greatest of all adventures. It'll be anything but boring. Write it down. Heaven means a new body. A new body. I heard tell recently about a group of Florida elderly citizens that were discussing their ailments. One, as they were all sitting in a circle, one said, I want you to know I've had two bypass surgeries. Another one said, well, I've had a hip replacement and two new knees. I've fought prostate cancer, and I have terrible fits of uncontrollable coughing. Another one said, I'm half blind. I can't hear anything quieter than a jet engine. It takes 40 different medications to keep me going. I'm dizzy, I'm winded, and I'm subject to blackouts. Uh, another one said, I have bouts with dementia. I have poor circulation. I can hardly feel my hands or my feet anymore. I can't remember if I'm age 85 or age 92. One spoke up and said, but, but, everybody, there's one thing we can all be thankful for. We're all still driving here in Florida.
Christian, aren't you glad? Christian, aren't you glad? Christian, aren't you glad? Our hope is not just heaven. Our hope is a new body, a resurrection body, not some disembodied Casper the Friendly Ghost, but a resurrection body that will be exactly like the resurrection body of Jesus Christ, a body which could be touched, a body which could be felt. Even Jesus said, here, give me a piece of fish. Give me some bread. And he ate it in front of them. Hallelujah. There's going to be eating in heaven. Glory to God. You can eat all you want and not worry about cholesterol. You won't worry about uh, calories. You won't have to go to the gym. Glory to God. You'll always have a good looking bod. A resurrection body just like Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Think what resurrection means. No more sickness, no more pain, no more fatigue limitations, no more old age symptoms, no more colds, flus, migraines, arthritis, MS, ALS, Alzheimer's, no more cancer. Hallelujah. A disease spawned in the laboratories of hell. No more cancer. I was at the hospital this week downtown, and as I was walking through ICU, I heard a woman up and down the hallway. I could hear her sobbing, sobbing. Somebody, somebody help me. I thought to myself in heaven, you'll never hear that cry. Heaven has no hospitals, no nursing homes, no cancer wards. You'll never hear the sound of a siren in heaven. That's right. I wrote the, the script for the intro of Edge of Eternity. You'll hear that same line. You'll, you'll, no funerals are allowed in heaven. You'll never go to a viewing in heaven. We believe in divine healing for the here and now. But let me tell you, divine healing in the here and now is nothing but a patchwork for the perfect healing that is about to come glory to God there's coming a healing from which you'll never get sick again hallelujah glory to Jesus I look forward to that perfect healing that perfect healing dear Colleen Morabito who has just passed from life to life a dear friend of this congregation Colleen Morabito, I want you to know, I want you to know, I want you to know the moment that she woke up in heaven, she was more alive than any person in this room. She no longer walks by faith, but she walks face to face with her Jesus, her Jesus. Write it down, heaven means mansions, mansions. John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, <laughs> there ye may be also. Maybe you could never afford a dream house. Maybe you thought you were building it or buying it. Maybe your dream house has become one big nightmare, a money pit. I want you to know that the perfect contractor, the perfect architect, the perfect builder is dreaming or is building your dream house, your mansion right now, and his name is Jesus. He said, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am ye may be also. Since the Bible aptly records that the new Jerusalem the city of God, our eternal habitation. Read it in the Bible. It's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles a cube. 
Architects, mathematicians have calculated since the New Jerusalem is that big and looking at the approximate number of Christians since Jesus over the last 2,000 years, that means that your mansion, your mansion will be a half a mile by a half a mile wide. Your new mansion in heaven will be 7 million square feet completely dust-free. You'll never have to clean it. Talk about a holy condo. I can't wait to get to heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heaven means a glorious new life. A glorious new life. What hope would there be if it's just a mansion and just a new body? How about a new way of living? How about a new way of living? Hmm. A paradise beyond imagination with no stress, no demands, no pressure, no diapers to change. And all the mommies would say, no meals to prepare, no home to clean, no more hassles with your teenager, no day shift, no afternoon shift, no night shift, no more punching in a time clock, no more cold, rainy, snowy Michigan days. And if you miss it, God will point you in the right direction. Heaven, heaven, hear me in this, will never be boring. There won't be boring heart playing in heaven. No, 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 no. The sights and sounds of heaven will blast your very consciousness. We're destined to rule and reign with Christ Jesus uh, and will be given supernatural resurrection brains, minds. Do you realize that researchers tell us that we only use what percentage of our brains? We only use 10%, and some of us prove that more than others. Can you imagine the capabilities of a brain that is no longer hindered by the curse of sin? Can you imagine the possibilities of our minds when they're unfettered, unhindered, when they're resurrected in our resurrection bodies. The Bible says that time will be no more in our eternal state in heaven. What kind of things would you like to do if time was no longer a limitation? What would you like to learn? What would you like to experience? I don't know about you, but I, I want to take 100 years to learn the violin. I've always had that secret passion. I don't know about you, but I've always wanted to be a marine biologist. I believe I'll be able to do those things in heaven. I don't know about you, but uh, I want to do some traveling when I get in heaven. You see, I believe, I'm convinced, Scripture, uh, I'll tell you, implies this in a, in a great fashion, is that we'll return back. We'll return back to the beginning of the Bible. Paradise. Paradise. God gave paradise for man to enjoy, man and woman to experience the wonders of his creation. We do not yet comprehend the astronomical size of the universe that God has created. Can you imagine the ability to travel throughout God's universe and explore planets, explore galaxies? in a resurrection body. My wife will tell you I'm a Trekkie at heart. The original Star Trek. 
I know every episode. I can sit there and I can mouth the script before it comes out of Captain Kirk's vocal cords. That's right. He could only travel at anywhere between warp one and sometimes when he was in trouble, warp 10. 10 times the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second per second. You and I in our resurrection bodies will travel far, far, far faster than the speed of light. We will travel at the speed of thought. We see this implied strongly in the Gospels as Jesus moved about freely, passing through walls, moving. I mean, we're talking faster than beam me up, Scotty. Zip it around, uh, interdimensional, the speed. I, it's going to be awesome. Awesome. Heaven, the final frontier. Heaven, the greatest adventure is yet to come. Deception number four. Heaven will be much like life now. Only in heaven you will have eternal life. Oh, how depressing. Can you imagine being stuck in an eternal body in this world, in this life? Can you conceive of that? Write it down. Heaven means a holy environment. A holy environment. I'm all for ecology. But the environmental gurus, the tree huggers, will never be able to create a utopia here on earth. As long as there's sin. Revelation 21, 27, nothing impure will ever enter heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Sir, ma'am, young person, is there a homing instinct, a homing instinct resonating in your spirit for something better? As you look around this world, our culture, our nation? Is there something in you that yearns for that which is better? Listen, we weren't fashioned to live in a world where the name of God is blasphemed 24-7, where our children are indoctrinated with evolution and secular humanism and the new age, where a million and a half abortions are transacted each and every year where we have to raise our children in an X-rated culture where violence rules, where no place is safe any longer. This past week, what did we witness? A 14-year-old, we still don't understand the motives, a 14-year-old student took his 24-year-old female math teacher cut her throat, killed her, and left her body in the woods. What kind of a world are we coming to? A demonic, a demonic world that is saturated with a, a spirit of homicide. We are rapidly moving towards the world of the Antichrist as I preached last week. We weren't fashioned to live in this kind of a world. We weren't fashioned to, to be in this kind of a culture, this unholy environment when I, where an unholy tide of evil is sweeping in upon us and, and our children. No, we were fashioned to walk on streets of gold. We were fashioned for a mansion just over the hilltop. We were fashioned to sing the songs that the angels sing, to walk and to talk with the heroes of the faith, a place where there 
there is no sin or sinners, no tears or fears, no more death or dying to rule and reign forever. We were fashioned uh, to no longer walk by faith, but face to face with Jesus. Home where we belong. Home where we belong. Do you yearn to be home where you belong? I'm not talking about a death wish, but I can't wait uh, to be in heaven. No wonder Paul could say, to live is Christ and to die for the Christian is gain. Gain. Amen. Deception number five, being a good person, never doing anything really bad and doing good things for people like the poor will get you into heaven will get you into heaven. I heard recently of a man who died and went to heaven. St. Peter met him at the pearly gates. Peter said, this is how it works. You need 100 points to get in here. You tell me all the good things you've done, and I'll give you a certain number of points for each item, depending how good it was, and when you reach 100 points, I'll let you in. Okay, the man says, uh, I attended church every Sunday. Oh, that's good, St. Pete said. Uh, that, that's worth two points. Two points. Just two points. Well, I gave 10% of all my earnings to the church. St. Pete said, well, uh, let's see. That, that's worth another two points. Did you do anything else? Two points. Come on now. How about this? Uh, I started a soup kitchen uh, in, in my city, and, and, and I worked at a shelter for, for homeless veterans. Uh, fantastic, uh, St. Pete said. Uh, that's certainly worth one point. The man said, well, come on. How about this? I was married to the same woman for 50 years. And I never cheated on her, even in my heart. That's wonderful, said St. Pete. That's worth three points. Three points, the man cries. At this rate, the only way that I can get into heaven is by the grace of God. Peter said, you've got it. <laughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like we. We once were lost, but now we're found blind. But now we see. Grace, you've got it. Come on in. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. Because if it was by works, you could boast so that no one could boast. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Mark it down with me. Our only hope for entry into heaven is by the grace of God and a living faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. How can you beat and cheat spiritual death? How can you beat and cheat eternal death, not in good works, good citizenship, not in good morals, not in good intentions, not with Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, or Mary. None of these things or none of these people died for your soul and then conquered death. 
an expensive, an expensive embalming job, a rosewood casket, uh, and a funeral oration won't change your character. They won't gain your entrance into heaven. So I ask you then the question that I've asked for years. What can wash away your sins? What can make you whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes you and I white as snow. Nothing, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Are we supposed to do good works? Yes. But good works do not save us. Good works are expected from us. Once we have become Christians, then we discover that faith without works is... How do I know that your faith is alive and well within you? You're plugged into your church. You're ministering in your church. You're ministering outside of your church. You're doing the things that Jesus would do. This is how I know that you're alive and well in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. Have you ever watched the Oscars? I have. I'm glad for res. Okay, okay, sorry. We want to be responsive, and I appreciate that. I've watched the Oscars. I don't know about you, but I kind of like what it, you know, I kind of like to have won an Oscar at one time or another. I've watched the Olympics. I don't know about you, but I kind of wish I could have been up there. Not just bronze or silver, getting the gold. How about you? You know what I'm talking about. I've watched the President of the United States give out the Medal of Honor. I don't know about you, but I would like to receive the Medal of Honor. I want you to know that there's coming a day that everything that you have done in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God, and Jesus said, even if it's a cup of water, I will reward you in my name, and great will your reward be. Mark it down. Heaven means rewards. Heaven means rewards. God will remember every act of service and, and ministry done for Him. He will remember it with what? Paul responds in 1 Corinthians 9, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last how long? What does that mean? That means, get a hold of this. Get a hold of this insight. That means that throughout eternity, God will be thanking you. God will be honoring you throughout eternity. God, the applause of heaven will be directed to you as you have done service in his name. I don't know about you. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. Praise the Lord. Deception number six. In heaven we will not know one another. Everyone will look the same like angels. Oh, what a crock. Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count 
from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. How could John see that they were from every tribe? How could he note the racial differences, cultural differences? Because in heaven we will not be clones. We will have individual identity. Pastor, will I know my wife in heaven? I get asked this so Will I know my husband in heaven? Some hope for it. Some are... <laughs> Both of my grandpas, all due to death, were married three times. I don't know how God's going to sort all that out. I, I'm glad he's God. <laughs> Jesus said that marriage will no longer exist in heaven. But that did not mean that individual identity and recognition would cease in heaven. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. We look through a glass darkly. We don't understand everything. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know I'm part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We will recognize one another in heaven. <laughs> we will be able to have individual characteristics in heaven. You will know your spouse as your great spiritual partner throughout the eternal ages of heaven. Heaven means reunion. Write it down. The death of a loved one. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. The death of a loved one is one of life's most devastating events. Never again will you hear their voice, feel their touch, their friendship, their love. But what do we know, Christian? For our Christian loved ones, death is not the last word in their lives. Death is not a period. It's only a comma. There's going to be a grand reunion in the skies. I love at airports when I see people fall into each other's arms after not seeing each other for a long time and the shouts and the crying and the tears, the hugging and the kissing. I mean, can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven when we greet one another and have that glad reunion in the skies? I can't wait to see my lakeside family members in heaven. Steve Winfrey will be there, Rose Di Tommaso, Bob and Ann Sherritt, Moses and Mary Hill, Tom Carrada, Frank Iafredi, Linda DeClerc, Steve Bowman, Dave Short. And if I left a name out, forgive me, I just, just listed those. What a day that will be when there will be no more goodbyes, but only constant hellos. My loved ones, they're in heaven. I can't wait to see my grandparents. Can't wait to meet Becky's father for the first time. I hope he doesn't kick me in the shins. I've never met him. He died when she was age four. Just think, all the time that you'll ever need with your loved ones in heaven. What makes heaven heaven is relationship. Not the mansions, not the streets of gold. Relationship. Relationship. No more goodbyes. Only constant hellos. And the older you get, more of your friends, are, are, you know, more people in heaven. It's part of old age. My grandpa, his greatest worry when he was age 100 is that he, 
He was worried that all of his friends and family members that were already in heaven were thinking that he'd missed it. But would you agree with me that the best, the best, the best, the best reunion of all time will not be our loved ones, will not be our spouses, our children that are already in heaven. Would you agree with me? The best reunion of all times will be when we see Jesus. When we see Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who loved us the most. Hallelujah. Oh, I want to see him and look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace on the streets of glory. Let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last ever to rejoice. Oh, will you sing it with me this morning? Oh, I want to see Him look upon His face there to sing forever of His saving grace on the streets of glory there to sing my voice cares all past Home at last, ever to rejoice. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. But deceptions. Deceptions are not only about heaven, they're about hell. About hell. About hell. Man was involved in a terrible, terrible, terrible accident in front of a gas station. And when the jaws of life took him out of his car, he was unconscious. EMS revived him. When he was revived, he began struggling and wrestling with the EMS workers, the first responders. After calming them down, they asked him, Sir, why did you wrestle? Why did you fight? Why did you struggle with those that were trying to save you? He said, When I first woke up, I was laying on a concrete slab and all I saw was the gas station sign, the shell sign, and somebody was standing in front of the S. Deception number seven. Hell is where the biggest party of all time will be. I want you to know, mark it down, hell is a place of eternal torment. There won't be anybody in hell shouting, let's party. Does the rich man in hell sound like he's partying to you? Hell is a place of everlasting fire. Jesus said that, not me. Matthew 25, he shall say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Hell's a place of eternal regret. I believe that the two most somber words in the Bible are uttered by Abraham to the rich man in hell. Son, remember. If you go to hell, the thing that will take place that I believe is worse than the fire, if you choose to go to hell, it will be like a tape recorder. It will be like voicemail that will run in your mind over and over and over and over again throughout all eternity, all the chances that you had to get right with God. Son, remember. Son, remember. Son, remember. 
Hell means being eternally forgotten. Would you write that down? Eternally forgotten. The Bible says that God will erase the memory of loved ones in hell. How could a person enjoy heaven knowing that their loved ones are in eternal fire, eternal hell? How can that be? God in His love will erase the memory of your loved ones that end up in hell. If you go to hell, there's never a phone call. There's never an email. There's never a birthday card. There's never an invitation. There's no one to sit up at nights wondering, where are you? Why haven't you come home? There's no one to pray for you and call out your name before God. If you choose to go to hell, you'll be totally and eternally forgotten, even by God. It will be as though you had never existed. Deception number Eight. But doesn't the Bible teach about purgatory? Won't there be a second chance? Purgatory basically teaches that if you're not good enough to make it to heaven, but not bad enough to be thrown into hell, that there's this waiting room called purgatory. If you'll study church history, purgatory was not developed in Catholicism until the 16th century to counteract Martin Luther. It was an evolving doctrine. You will never, ever, ever find the doctrine of purgatory ever expounded or explained or taught, even located in the Word of God in the Bible. You see, hell offers no escape. We're fascinated by escapes. Escape from Alcatraz, Clint Eastwood. Hell is a place of no escape. The moment you arrive in hell, the prayer of 10,000 saints could not and cannot rescue you from hell. You see, the cemetery has no revolving door. Reincarnation is a lie. Purgatory is a lie. There's no changing of God's mind. Hell offers no second chance. I've often thought about the note that was found in the Russian submarine where all hands perished and the Russians were so late in recovering. A note was found in that death sub. One of the submariners wrote down, no air, no escape, no hope. If there's one chanting cry from the pit of hell, it's this. No hope! No hope! No hope! That leads us to deception number nine. A loving God would never send anyone to hell. God's love and grace are so great that ultimately everyone will be in heaven. The belief that ultimately all are redeemed, including Satan, and allowed into heaven is the deception that is called universalism. Please move the slide so the people can see it. Universalism. Universalism. Sad to say, there are many, even today, in liberal church circles that are moving towards universalism. 
one of the, the leading mega church pastors in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Rob Bell, Rob Bell, who wrote the book Love Wins. The essence of that book, and we're talking about a church of 10,000 people, a Christian church, the essence of his book was that God's love is so great, God's grace is so great, that ultimately everyone will be redeemed. Everyone will be saved. Even Lucifer. He's no longer pastoring his church, by the way. He's out in Hollywood trying to make a movie. Universalism. The Bible is clear. Mark it down. The unrighteous, along with Satan, will spend eternity in the lake of fire. If you're in disagreement with me, your disagreement, again, is not with me. I'm reporting simply what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 3, 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Revelation 20, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Revelation 20, 15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And the devil who deceived them, verse 10, was thrown into the lake uh, of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night. For how long? Forever and ever. If you subscribe to universalism, if you subscribe to annihilationism, then you have to deny the inerrancy and the divine inspiration and the divine authority of God's holy word. I believe in a literal hell and a literal heaven because I believe that God's word is literally true. And so does Lakeside. If universalism, as Rob Bell teaches, is true, why send Jesus? Why send Jesus to be laid in a Bethlehem manger? Why send Jesus? I want children to stay in here, young people to stay in here, unless it's an emergency. Stay put, because you need to hear this ending. If universalism is true, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? If universalism, that all will ultimately be saved and redeemed, is true, then why did God send His only Son to be tortured and cruelly crucified upon a cross. He would have to be a sadistic father to allow that to happen. It is the height of physical abuse done to a, a son. But God, but God, but God so loved the world. He so loved you and I. The stakes were so high that an angel would not do. A good idea, philosophy would not do. God had to send His best. And God and Jesus had to bleed and die for us upon the cross. It took the blood of Jesus Christ to set us free. Hallelujah to the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah to the worthy. Worthy is the Lamb of God, Christ Jesus. What do you do with love like that? What do you do with love like that? Deception 10, there's no hurry to worry about hell. We all have plenty of time. 
Legend, legend tells us that Satan was sitting on his throne. And as Satan sat upon his throne, he cried out to his minions, his demons, his imps, his fallen angels, and he said, we're losing the fight. The church is winning. What shall we do? What strategy would you suggest to me? One demon came up and said, tell them that God does not exist. Satan said, that will not work. Man inherently knows that there is a God. Most believe in God. Another demon came up and said, tell them that there's no judgment. There will never be a judgment. That won't work either, Satan said. Each and every one knows that there's going to be a final judgment. Another demon came up and said, I've got it. Tell them there's plenty of time. Satan said, that's it. That's it. You do have it. Tell them there's plenty of time. Tell them there's plenty of time. Whisper into their spirits, there's plenty of time. Plenty of time. The plenty of time, mark it down, deception is not only Satan's favorite lie, it feeds our pride, it feeds our arrogance. Listen, only God is in control. Only God is sovereign. We control nothing. You cannot control your next breath. You cannot control your next heartbeat. Your life is held in the hands of God. You do not know what's going to happen between now and you going home today. You cannot control the events of your life. Your life is held in the very hands of God. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Write it down. All we have is this moment. Only today is the day of second chances. Are, are you saying this morning, I've got plenty of time. I'm going to wait till my deathbed. Don't play the part of the fool. The rich man probably thought that he had plenty of time. Yet I believe God said to him what he said to the rich farmer. Thou fool, thou fool, this night thou soul shall be required of thee. I've often thought maybe I shouldn't put those blanks just before I finish because you all start putting stuff away and wrestling and I lose my audience. Be more than an audience. Be a congregation right now. I want you to bear down. There's only one that controls time. And his name is God. Solomon said... There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. We own nothing. God owns everything. The breath in you that's called life, he gave it. You do not control it. Today is the day of salvation. 
Today is the day of second chances. There's no revolving door at the crematorium or the cemetery. Reincarnation is not an option. It's a lie. Purgatory is a lie. Today, Jesus says, get right with me. Get right with me. God is the author of second chances. Bring your, bring your skeletons in the closet to him. There's no sin that is so black, deep, ugly, and gruesome that he is not deeper still in his love and his grace. Isn't it time you said yes to Jesus? On Friday, my day off, Friday, my day off, I had the most special happening that I've ever had happen in my life in a long, long time. You know, we're empty nesters now. Hallelujah. And then the grandsons come over, tear the whole place up. That's okay. I love picking up after them. I really do. Because I know one day those things finish. They're all done. On Friday, I got a phone call from my son as I was trying to get stuff done before Edge of Eternity that night and talked with me for an over an hour of what God is doing in his life, his ministry. And then right after he called, my youngest from Florida, she called and yacked my ear off on what Jesus is doing in her life and stretching her life and how in love she is with her boyfriend. <laughs> and then right after Jenny called, in fact, these phone calls came in, one on top of another, and I had to call Julie back because she was trying to call me, my oldest, and she was sharing how the Lord has been revealing fresh and new revelation to her and how God is using her in her teaching ministry. And I walked around the backyard. If my neighbors were watching me, they thought I was out of my mind because I was just, oh, God, thank you. I am blessed. I am rich. You are so good to me. Because on that day of days, the family circle will not be broken. We'll all be there together. I'm reminded of the story of a dear saint that was dying in a nursing home. And as he was dying in his deathbed, he cried out to his wife. He says, it's getting dark. It's getting dark. Turn the lights off. But wait, wait. Honey, are the children in? Are all the children in? He was going back decades. Back to when he was a young father. Are all the children in? She said, hush, hush, my love. Yes, all the children are in. Because they were all living for God. He then smiled and said, then turn off the lights. All the children are in, and I'm ready. And he moved into eternity. Father, this morning, 
as we've dealt with the lies of the enemy, as we've revealed your truth, God truth, we ask the question, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I ask the question, are all the children in? Are you in? Are you in? Do you know that you know that you know that Jesus is your Savior? You walk and talk with Him. You have a personal, committed relationship with Jesus. You're right with God. You know you're on your way to heaven. Heaven is your home. You know that for a certainty. If not, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you would like to be included in a prayer, my prayer of salvation, would you just slip up your hand right now as a sign of your faith? Lift it up so that I can see it right now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see those hands. Amen. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. How many more? I'm looking up in the balcony. I want to be included in that prayer of salvation, preacher. Include me. That lifted hand is a sign of your faith. How many? Precious Jesus. Keep those hands up this morning. Keep those hands up. And I want you to put your heart into what we're about to pray. I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud. In fact, I want everyone to pray this prayer with me out loud. And for you that lifted up your hands, make this prayer your prayer. Own it. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now just as I am. I confess I'm a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. For changing me. For giving me a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard it. And your names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 